This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to Season 3 of the Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. In this season, best-selling author Lisa Waisaki, along with Purina's teams of PhD equine nutritionists and some very special guests, take you on a journey through many jobs a horse can do and how to feed for each job. You'll come away entertained, along with advice and knowledge on how to best feed your favorite equine companions. I'm Lisa Waisaki in Ashland City, Tennessee. I'm an award-winning author, editor, equine clinician, and motivational speaker who trains horses for and consults with therapeutic riding programs. And I am your host for Season 3 of the Horse Nutrition Podcast, presented by Purina. We have a very interesting show for you today with the story of a horse with an unusual background who helped a family heal in a very special way. We'll learn about this horse and about the unique breeding program at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center from Mike Jurina. Mike is the manager of the horse research facility at the Nutrition Center, and he's also the manager of new product development. Today, we bring you the story of Desi, a dappled gray quarter horse gelding who helped one Wisconsin family recover from the loss of another beloved equine friend. But first, have you ever wondered about the horses who do the very first taste tests of the feeds your horses eat, or how those horses fell into those jobs? Well, today, we are going to tell you all about it and about how some very special horses have been pre-testing your horse's feed for close to 100 years. The Purina Animal Nutrition Center in Gray Summit, Missouri, has been helping horses receive better nutrition since 1926. During that time, Purina has conducted thousands of research studies that involve everything from the taste and smell of the feed to digestion, growth, stamina, aging, and much, much more. There are roughly 70 horses there on the farm, and some of them are even bred by Purina. After foaling, the babies might participate in a nutritional growth trial or in taste tests. All of the foals are haltered and handled at an early age, and after a few years, some stay on for other trials, but others are trained to ride and are sold. We've learned that there is quite a waiting list for these very unique horses. Heading up the breeding and care of these special horses, and the man who is here to tell us all about Purina's quarter horse breeding program is Mike Jurina. Now, Mike, the Purina Animal Nutrition Center has lots of horses, but why do you have a breeding program? So the reason we put the breeding program in place was to generate new horses to use for our research program. We needed young growing horses to do young developing horse research, and we've actually had that program in place for many, many years. It's approaching 60 to 70 years of existence at this point. I don't know very many breeders who have gone 60 or 70 years. Yeah, it's really neat the way that they've done it over the years, and it's kind of gradually improved. It's it's relatively small when you look at large-scale breeding operations, but we've consistently put out between 10 and 14 foals every year over the, the life of the program. Oh, that's great. And now, it's just quarter horses, correct? Yes, we only breed quarter horses. We do have some thoroughbreds on site, but we've purchased those from outside individuals. But the uh, the breeding program has been strictly American quarter horses. And um, I know that um, there are a lot of quarter horses around the country, and there have been for decades. And this probably this decision was probably made before you came on board. But why quarter horses? Why not something else? So it kind of traditionally has been quarter horses um, due to the popularity of the quarter horse in the United States. There's um, 
a lot of different breeds and there's a lot of popularity with those different breeds, but the kind of the predominant number of horses in the United States is American quarter horses. And most of our customers um, will, will have a quarter horse, even if they're in the thoroughbred business, they might have quarter horses also. So we've kind of just stayed with that. And we also don't necessarily have the space at our facility to have a representative number of each one of the breeds that we'd like to have. We'd like to have thoroughbreds. We'd like to have warm bloods. We'd like to have draft horses, but we just don't have enough facilities to maintain all those animals. Yeah. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but genetically, wouldn't the quarter horse also be um, closely related to any kind of stock horse, such as the Appaloosa or the paint also? I wouldn't necessarily say that genetically it's that big of an issue for us. But what we typically say or go by is that if we can instigate some sort of a a change in a quarter horse, say, make that horse exercise for a little bit longer before it gets tired, we will most likely see that same result in any of the other horse breeds. It might not be to the same extent, which would make us study that a little bit further in different breeds. But it gives us a good model of what's going to happen in the equid overall. Oh, that makes total sense. Now, um, do you have stallions there at at the farm? Uh, We stood stallions at the farm for many, many years. For about the past 14 years, we've been breeding exclusively with ship-cooled semen. And what that allowed us to do was um, breed to higher quality stallions than we were necessarily willing to spend the money on having to to stand at our farm simply to breed um, our research horses there. So we've uh, we've gone to breeding with the ship-cooled semen. It gives us a lot more... um, ability to switch around and breed for something that we might be looking for one specific year. If we're looking for more of a performance-oriented type horse, we can breed a whole batch of performance-oriented babies. Or if we're looking for something that's a little more general purpose, we could do that by selecting different stallions. So it gives us a little bit more flexibility than we would have if we bought one stallion and needed to have him on site for several years and breed him. Yeah, now my... um uh, experience at breeding farms is limited. I managed a farm many, many years ago, but I wasn't all that hands-on. Uh, but I do remember that uh, when using um, uh, shipped or frozen semen, uh, you really have to be on your game when you're teasing these mares and knowing when these mares are coming into heat. Well, it is definitely, uh, the springtime for us is a very busy time of year. Not only do we have the, the foals hitting the ground from the, the prior year, but we're also trying to get these mares bred back for the following year. And as you kind of mentioned, it is a lot more labor intensive when you're trying to breed with ship cooled semen. You have to have your your timing of your ovulations on your mares coordinated with when they're actually going to collect the uh, the semen from the stallions at, at the ranch. So it's kind of a whole balancing act of trying to really know your mares very well and know when they're going to ovulate and then knowing the schedule at the breeding operation to understand when you need to have them shipping semen to you to coordinate with the ovulations on the mares. So for us, that means basically ultrasounding our mares about pretty much seven days a week. We're going um, on these guys to understand how they're ovulating and how their cycles are working. And then we're teasing the mares three days a week, looking at their response to a, a tease stallion that we have on site. So it it's pretty labor intensive this time of year for us. And uh, we, we tend to get it knocked out fairly quickly. We'll be crazy for about two months and then things kind of taper off and sort of go back to, to normal until the next year. <laughs> now you get your uh, semen from the four sixes ranch in Texas, correct? Yes. We've been working with 
with the four sixes for 14 years now, and they, they have an outstanding battery of stallions out there that allow us the, the flexibility that I mentioned earlier. They've got everything from racing bred quarter horses to general purpose ranch type horses to high performance um, show horses for cutting, reining, um, barrel racing. They have all different types. So what that allows us to do is tailor the genetics of our mares to a specific stallion. And it gives us kind of um, the opportunity to have have babies that are, are really custom bred um, based off the bloodlines to give us a, a high quality baby. So we might have in a batch of 10 or 12 babies, we might have four or five different stallions represented depending on what we're looking at that particular year. Right, right. And now when the babies are born, um, I'm assuming that they're going into some kind of uh, either feed or taste or growth trial uh, at some point. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, and, and also the mares, what, what kind of programs are they in? So typically for us, we, we do a whole lot of work on growth products and trying to understand how to grow the best possible baby um, that we can for our customers so that they have a horse that meets its maximum genetic potential when it's actually ready to be used for whatever the person's going to do with that. So for us, typically that means getting these mares on a test diet 90 days out from their expected foaling date. Um, they'll be on the test diet until they foal. We'll be collecting samples. Um, there might be some fecal swabs, blood samples, body weights, that type of thing right up into foaling. And then when the mare foals, we're collecting all kinds of samples on the mare and the foal. Uh, literally within five to 10 minutes of that baby being born, we're getting samples from it to understand what that baby looks like immediately when it's out of its mother. And then we'll We'll keep up with uh, sampling and testing on that young horse, usually until they're about two years old. So we get a good idea of how to grow the entire foal. We don't just look at one small snapshot of how it how it comes out and how it would do something. We got a good idea of what what happens from the day it hits the ground to the day it could actually go into the show ring or the racetrack or wherever it might be going. And I mean, babies are so cute. Do you and I know that they're there for a purpose and, and this is more of a, a business, but don't you get attached to them? Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, I've, I've been <laughs> at the farm long enough now. I, that's a good and a bad thing, I guess, kind of, because it lets me know how yeah. old I am, but at the same time, it's kind of neat that uh, <laughs> we've got, we've got brood mares that have had seven or eight babies and I was the one that bred them um, when, when they were born. So it's kind of neat to see oh, these. Wow these older horses that you got to be there when they actually fold out and see them as a baby and go through their entire life cycle. We've got treadmill horses that we fold out, you know, 18 years ago that are still running on the treadmill. And I was, I was there from the beginning all the way till now to see them in their, their older years when they've come completely full circle and they're up to doing big stuff, you know, the big jobs that yeah. we have at the farm past just doing what the babies do for us. So it's really neat. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. And I, I know you can't keep all the foals there because you would have like a hundred bazillion horses if you kept them all. But when they're done with the trials, what happens to the horses? Where do they go? So we've got several different things that we do. We've got, um, we've got a, a program called our ambassador program where we have influential horse people um, that we work with. And a lot of those are clinicians. And um, mm -hmm. some of them routinely purchase horses from us. And then we also sell the horses private treaty to individuals that are interested. Usually they're customers that have come to the farm and seen what we have. And they'll, they'll leave um, a name and number with me. And when that, that horse becomes available, we'll call them and they'll purchase the horse. Or we also send um, 
a couple horses every year to a, a program at Colorado State University called the Legends of Ranching program, um, where it gives students that are in school for an equine science degree the opportunity to learn how to train a young horse to go under saddle, and they learn how to do sale prep, and then they, they put the horse through an auction at the end of the program. So that gives us the chance to kind of give back to industry. It lets those kids have an opportunity to, to train basically a green horse and learn the whole process of trying to train that horse and take it through all the different things it has to learn, sale prep the horse, show the horse, and then sell the horse at the end. So there's, there's usually a couple of tiers at the end of that program. Um, I bet. For the students that are just, they've come absolutely attached to the animal that they had for two semesters, you know, and we've had a, yeah. had a couple instances where the parents buy the horse back and give it to the student at the end of the program. <laughs> and it's been kind oh, of awesome. funny to watch. There's a, there's a couple of parents that have not told the student that they're buying the horse. So they wait for their, their child to come back crying and so upset that they have to part with their horse that they've developed this bond with. <laughs> and then they tell them that they, uh, they bought it for them. So that's, that's a pretty neat thing to see too. I've heard that you had a quarter horse gelding in particular, a horse named Desi, who was bred there at the Nutrition Center. And can you tell us a little bit about his very early years and what trials he might have been in? So Desi was fold out and went immediately into one of the growth programs that I explained earlier. So he helped us work mm -hmm. on a product called Altium Growth. He was on one of the initial trials for that product. So he, he was on that for about a year and a half, two years. And, uh, I got this very interesting phone call from a young lady. I think she, at the time she was 16 years old and she, she just asked if we sold horses. And I said, well, yeah, we still, we sell horses. And she got into this long story about how um, she had been raised with a horse that came from the farm and the horse was bought back in 1996, I believe. Um, oh, and wow. her, her grandmother had purchased it for the, the young girl's mother. And they, uh, they used the horse for 20 years and um, the, the young girl learned to ride on it. The mother showed it and used it in 4-H and FFA. And this horse just touched I, untold people throughout its lifespan of 20 years. And when it finally got old and it, it passed away, um, the daughter said, I want another horse from the Purina Research Farm. And the, the mom said, oh, they don't, I'm sure they don't do that anymore. That can't be a thing anymore. And the daughter didn't listen yeah. to her mother and just called me anyways. <laughs> oh, good for <laughs> and, her. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of wild. You know, this, this kid called me and this, she's explaining all this stuff. I'm thinking, wow, this is wild. So he said, give me the, give me the registered name of the horse. Cause we register all of our foals with the American quarter horse association. And the, uh, the name she got back to me, we wound up researching through all of our records and we found, um, a, a mare that was direct lineage coming from the horse they had, who was named Senor. And uh, I, I realized that Desi was the foal of this mare that had direct lineage tied back to the horse that they had owned. And so, oh, how I, amazing! Yeah, it was really cool. And we, we, Desi's father is a, a fairly well-known stallion named Patty's Irish Whiskey, and he was a dapple gray, really pretty horse, and he was everybody's favorite. We had him working on the treadmill. We had him doing taste testing. He was really good at everything we threw at him. But I thought, you know, this is just an awesome opportunity to give somebody something that they would never be able to duplicate anywhere else. So we called them and yeah. told them to, to come down and we'd work something out with the horse. And I didn't really fill them in on the horse being directly related to the horse they had. And uh, we, we just gave the horse to them. And they were crying eyes out and immediately they said, oh, his sniff on his nose looks just like his great uncle or whatever 
whatever single <laughs> or how far back he went, but it was, it was a really right. cool thing. And I've kept up with the girl and the, um, they've, they've got Desi trained up and she's got him just, she sent me a picture of him with like four blue ribbons on him. She was using him in a little bit of uh hunter under saddle stuff and she does Western pleasure with him. So pretty cool to see that, you know, the, the horses we were breeding back in the early nineties have impacted our customers in a way that just shaped the way they looked at horses for, generations and then we could replace that with another horse basically out of the same lineage and keep that going for that that one family so that one family is going to have 30 plus years of purina horses in their life it's kind of neat oh yeah absolutely i mean how did that make you feel and your team also who was involved with desi just to to know that you could gift this horse to to this family and and that this horse meant so much to them no, we had three or four people working that day. And when their, their trailer came up the hill, we weren't quite sure exactly what to expect. But when the, the mom and the daughter got out and they were both crying, there weren't very many dry eyes around. It was, it was pretty neat to be a part yeah. of something like that, you know? Oh, I can only imagine. And, you know, the fact that, that both of the horses, Senor and Desi, both seem to be these all-around steady Eddie type horses that you can put into just about any situation and they're just going to try their, their heart out for you is, is pretty special. Yes, it definitely was. Mike, I've enjoyed talking with you so very, very much. I can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise and for giving us all this great information about the Purina Animal Nutrition Center and your breeding program. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Here to help us learn to feed our mares and foals, like Desi, is Dr. Mary Beth Gordon, PhD. Dr. Gordon is the Director of Research and New Product Development for Purina. Dr. Gordon, what's the first thing a mare owner needs to know about feeding a mare who is expecting? Sure, that's a great question. And if we were to think about what does that mare owner really need to know about that mare in gestation is that it's really important to feed her properly as she's going through gestation in order to produce that healthy foal that is going to be able to grow well and, and steadily, you know, once it hits the ground. And sometimes people think that, oh, it's the mare's fine. I just have to worry about the foal, you know, once it gets here. But truly, especially during the last few months of gestation, it's really important to feed a feed that is for brood mares and is um, especially designed to support all of their needs for calories, protein, fat, fiber, vitamins, minerals, because we really are laying down the foundation for that foal, you know, in the last several months of gestation to help set it up to get started on the right track when it gets here and is alive and well. And I think that's a really good way to look at it that, you know, that good nutrition uh, and those added vitamins and minerals and calories is really going to help that baby thrive, not just after the birth, but before the birth. Yeah, for sure. There's actually some good research that has shown how certain mineral levels, especially copper and zinc, is important to feed at the right levels to the mare so that the foal is born with those appropriate mineral levels in their body. And that is going to support, you know, proper growth and um, make sure that their bones and tendons and ligaments and, and their body parts, you know, form and grow correctly. And once those 
those foals come, you know, they start to suckle right away. And the mare also has a lot of very high calorie needs. And it's really important that we're setting that mare up during gestation to be able to handle that very large calorie <laughs> need that is going to feed <laughs> that baby full. Because, you know, as we know, they just they just keep going right in there for that mare's milk, you know, over and over and over yep. again because they want to grow big and strong. Yep, yep. And I was going to ask, you know, I know that the needs of the mare changes after the baby is born because, as you said, she's really putting out those those calories. She's really needing a lot of uh, extra um, to maintain that baby. But what specifically does that look like? What what specifically would I feed if I had a, a mare in full? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one thing that we always have to make sure that people understand is those calorie needs are really high. Like I said, like we, we tend to think about, you know, people and, and a person on average, you know, needs about 2000 calories a day to maintain their body weight and a lactating mare at the height of lactation will burn 35,000 calories a day. So holy cow. Yeah. It's a huge number. (laughs) And we have to really think about and sometimes get creative in terms of how are we going to make sure we can get all those calories into that mare. So really good quality hay and or pasture. Pasture, you know, this is, we worry so much about pasture nowadays with, um, you know, certain horses and is it too rich and is it too many calories and too much sugar and these types of things. Well, you have a nice big lactating mare, pasture goes a long way to help to get her calorie needs and get her what she needs, um, which is really nice. Or really good quality hay and making sure that it's very palatable and digestible hay that she can use. And then nowadays we have these feeds for brood mares like that um, that are higher in calories and higher in fat, but you can almost mm-hmm. feed a smaller volume of them. So we use Ultium Growth, for example, and it's you know higher in fat, higher in calories, and you know we like to recommend that you would feed it in several meals per day. If you go to three meals or four meals to split the meals up for that mare to really help support her calorie needs, those are all some suggestions, you know, maximize that forage or pasture intake, and then use a higher fat and fiber feed uh, with more calories to support the mare. That makes a lot of sense. And then what about the baby? When should some sort of concentrate be introduced to a foal? So that's a really great question. And sometimes the the foals will themselves decide when their concentrate should start because they start to to steal right from, from mom (laughs) a little bit. Um, But we start our foals off within the first few weeks of life. We will start to introduce concentrate feed to them at very, very small amounts. And we only increase it at very small amounts with a formula that is appropriate for a young, you know, growing foal. It's important that you wouldn't just give them, um, you know, free choice uh, concentrate feed. So you don't want to go overboard and just say, here, eat all the feed you want. Go for it, baby. Cause they don't yeah. necessarily, you know, um, regulate that appropriately, but you also don't want to deprive them either. Some people think, oh, well, they are getting everything they need from, from mare's milk or pasture. And, and those things can absolutely go a very long way. 
but it's really important that as the foal grows, we start to creep feed that foal. And with creep feeding, what we're doing is allowing that foal to uh, eat separately from their dam and get the nutrition and the feed they need without having to compete with mama. Cause you know, some mares are pretty territorial about their feed and, and they don't want their oh, babies yeah. to eat their, you know, their feed. But, <laughs> um, and then that way too, you can really monitor that foal in terms of what it's eating and, and how much it's eating so that you can adjust it appropriately for their growth rate and their age. Yeah. Now, backing up just a little bit, you said you started out at a, at a really small amount. What is that to you? Because a small amount to one person might be a whole lot of something else to somebody else. We start out at about a third of a pound. It ends up being about a cup of feed, one eight ounce yeah. measuring cup. So yeah, it's a small amount. It's easily an amount that could be fed to a foal separately by someone having them on the end of a a lead rope and a halter. So at first you don't have to get super fancy with creep feeding ways. And and what are you going to do if, you know, everybody's out together or you don't have a special feeder for the foal, but it'll help your halter training go, go a ways too. If, you know, put a little halter (laughs) on that baby and touch it all over and, and give it its little, ration for it and it'll you know eat that up and so it's good bonding time with that baby as well like a horse like desi how might his needs have changed after weaning so once those horses are weaned it is really important that they had been started on the feed and the hay and or pasture that they're going to be on after weaning so that you can smooth out that period of weaning weaning can be stressful for young horses. It can be stressful stressful for them emotionally. It can be stressful for them physically. If they're a baby that really loved their mama and, and suddenly they're gone and <laughs> now they start to run in the paddock and whinny all day and, and, you know, feel really heartbroken for a few days till they figure out their new life. So having them on those feeds prior to weaning And then trying to keep things as consistent as possible afterwards. Um, One of the things we will do is we will recommend our Outlast gastric support supplement for horses during weanling because it helps to support proper pH in the stomach. And if they're, you know, having a stressful time, this will help keep everything settled in that way. So it's all about like thinking ahead, right? And being prepared for that weaning process. So then once you get through weaning and you figured out how you're going to do it, you know, are you weaning with a bunch of babies together? Are you, you know, taking, you know, a mare out of the paddock one at a time? I mean, that's the way we do it at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center. The the babies are weaned based on their, their age of day. And they had, you know, been out with a group that's sort of similarly aged. And one at a time, we take you know, the broodmare out of the paddock once that baby is old enough. So it does make it less stressful because the other mamas are still in there and they're still there with their same buddies and they still are on the same feed and the same hay that they were getting creep fed with and had access to before the weaning. So if you really try to like sit down and think about your operation someday and think about, okay, what's the least stressful way I can make weaning for my, you know, young horse and like, what can I keep the same, you know, with that one big, you know, factor change being that broodmare, you know, leaving the premises or the area, um, that'll go a long way to help that, that young horse out. 
Now, again, thinking about a horse like Desi, um, you know, we're past the weaning, um, we're going, you know, into the fall and the winter, and now Desi and all of his buddies are yearlings. Mm-hmm. What, what does that food kind of look like? Yeah. So when our babies become yearlings, you know, usually our growth studies that we're doing at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center, you know, they're lasting for a good two years or more because these young horses have such a long growth cycle, right? It's not like they're full grown at six months or a year. They're still growing. So um, we're still going to have them on very specific feeds for growth that, you know, we're looking at certain things or certain additives or certain nutrient profile. And we are doing all the measurements we've been doing all along. So body weight and uh, hip height and wither height and heart girth length and length of the body. And we can ultrasound for rump fat thickness and get an idea of like how much fat they're putting on their bodies. And what we'll tend to do is then we'll, we'll group all of our different, um, yearlings and depending on what type of study, sometimes we put all the boys together and sometimes put all the, the fillies together. Um, sometimes they're mixed and, you know, we continue to have them grow on our feeds and we measure everything as we go so that we can really get a good idea of exactly what's going on in their bodies. How are they responding to our nutritional programs and, you know, what's working for them and what's looking good. Yeah. And that's what I really like about the breeding program uh, that you have at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center, because you're really looking at the whole horse. You're not just looking at nutrition. You're looking at the mind and the body and the training and the education of the young horse too. And that's really, really special, I think. Being at the farm and getting to know these horses, I ended up owning two of them. So, oh wow, you, yeah, <laughs> you know, you you can't be there and not look at them and see them born and see the dam and and see the you know really yeah. nice stallions that we're breeding to from four sixes and not go, you know what, like that horse would look really good in my backyard, and <laughs> I want to try, I want to you know try and get that one started and and see what that horse will turn into. I can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge and your expertise. And it's really been a pleasure talking with you today. Oh, I'm always happy to talk about our horses. They're really special to us. And, you know, having these horses really allows us to do things differently than other nutrition companies because it really helps us to make sure we're developing the best feeds and that we want to feed to our own horses and we want to feed to other people's horses. So it sets the foundation for everything. You know, every foal is so amazingly cute, but the health of each young horse really does start at conception. A mare who receives the right nutrition has the best chance of producing a baby who is physically strong and mentally sound. But the importance of nutrition does not stop there. For a foal like Desi, proper nutrition throughout his growing years and even throughout his entire life ensures that he will be a horse who, after completing his trials at Purina, can go out into the real world and thrive there in whatever job he or she is destined for. It's good to know that a combination of good care and management along with the right nutrition can unleash the greatest potential in every horse for whatever job they're focused on each and every day. Thank you for listening to the story of Desi on the Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. If you missed season one or season two, you can go back on any podcast player and take a listen to all of the past episodes. Just search for Horse Radio Network on the Apple or Android app stores and you'll find 17 different shows all about horses there. 
Learn more about Purina's many equine products at PurinaMills.com forward slash full rain. That's F-U-L-L-R-E-I-N. You can also take part in a feed trial. And to learn more about that, just go to PurinaMills.com forward slash H-R-N trial. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for a story of another amazing horse.